We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The twelve have been struggling to one degree or another to understand the veiled stories that Jesus told them and was telling to the public at large. And those stories, as I've mentioned now over several weeks, are called parables, which Jesus tells us are purposely wrapped up, if you will, in a mystery. But the mystery is revealed by God's design and his sovereignty to everyone who he determines are meant to receive it. Last week we looked at Mark's record of the parable of the lamp, for lack of a better cute title of it. And we learned that Mark's use of that parable of the lamp was quite a bit different than the way that Luke and Matthew use what is a very similar parable. Matthew and Luke use the illustration of the lamp as the believer's life. And the believer's life is in fact meant to be displayed. It's meant to be seen. That lamp which is the light of the living witness of the power of the transforming nature of the Holy Spirit is meant to dispel the darkness of the spiritually dark world in which we reside. And every one of us has the calling to let the light of our life shine before the whole world so that everyone's able to see it. And yet one of Satan's early successes, at least in modern times, has been to embed into our culture the lie that the Christian's faith and the Christian's beliefs are to be what? A private matter between one's self and one's God. I always love it when politicians are asked about their faith. And you often hear the response, well, of course I'm a very spiritual person, but my faith is between me and my God. Yeah, and that's a problem. In the text that we are currently looking at, Jesus gives us more revelation about his plans and he gives us additional information or revelation about his purposes in coming to earth, again, albeit enshrouded in a mystery. Again, the story called the parables. Beginning in verse 26, Mark writes, And Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now back in verse 11, Jesus said to you referring to his disciples, has been given the mystery, the hidden message, the hidden meaning of the kingdom of God. It's commonplace for followers of Jesus to get frustrated or to become downright discouraged with our lackluster efforts to sow due to a lack of observable results, isn't that? I mean, don't you get discouraged? with when you finally get up the gumption and you take the nerve and you step out on faith and, and you, you sow that seed and it goes, <clears throat> as far as you can tell, as far as we know. But hear this this morning. No one is judged by God on the basis of results. And I'm talking about results of sowing or evangelism, if you prefer 
None of us are judged by God on the basis of results. Contrary to our nature, though that be, and I know that many of us, again, know this, but still we grow weary of what we perceive to be our own non-productive attempts at spiritual farming. So let's listen up this morning. A lesson that I've learned from life, which can be applied in a bunch of different ways, is that when you sow, you may not see any growth. Let me say that again. When you sow, you may not, in fact, see any growth. You might not reap a harvest. But if you do not sow, you will not see any growth, nor will you ever reap a harvest. Now, I said I've learned to apply this in various uh, activities of my life. And honest to goodness, truth, I mean this. I've applied this, among other things, to my like of fishing, though an exercise in futility it usually is. And last Saturday, I had the burden to go back to an old fly fishing hole that I hadn't been to in a couple of years. And that first part of me says, why bother? You're not going to catch anything because that's the norm. And I kid you not, here's what I tell myself. If I go fishing, I may not catch anything. That's true. But if I do not go fishing, I will not catch anything. See the difference? You can apply that right to sowing the seeds of hope. First cast. And that was it for the evening. (laughs) That's okay. When I don't get skunked, it's a victory. Well, the thought came to me later in the week as I was working through this parable. that The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And I thought, what a peculiar thing it is to compare something like the kingdom of God with a man. And so I wanted to keep that in mind. I wasn't sure why. I just wanted to keep it in mind as I worked through this parable. And a mystery of salvation, I think, is that God uses some of us to sow the seeds of hope. And again, we may never see any fruit from it. But again, that's not our problem. God uses, right, Paul tells us, one person to sow, another person to water, another person to weed, another person to fertilize, another person person to till, But at the end of it all, God's the one who gives the increase. There are numerous aspects of the kingdom of God which elude us. We don't have to. In fact, we can't understand it all. But we who love the Lord do what we know God wants us to do, trusting in him for whatever comes or doesn't come. Enter now the parable of of the mustard seed, as it's called. Verse 30. Jesus said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds, in fact, some translations say the smallest of all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. 
Remember, this is a cloaked revelation. In this cloaked revelation, Jesus tells us it's about the kingdom of God. And we have to understand that the kingdom of God is not an easy concept when taken as a comprehensive whole. There's nothing in our actual right here earthly real life experience from which we can adequately draw to build some kind of a comprehensive picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And so because of this, we come up with popular misconceptions about the kingdom, which includes heaven. We've all been in memorial services for friends and for family, some even pointedly Christian, where we either read in their obituary or we hear uh, reiterated in the memorial service itself things, the, things along the lines of, in my best down east accent, well, you know, Bucky, oh, right now, you know, Bucky's up there in heaven and he's sitting in his tree stand. And, and you know, the biggest decision he's facing today is, is whether he's going to take that 16-point Boone and Crockett trophy or he's waiting for that rare albino doe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, in, but in fairness... <laughs> This parable seems to tell us that even Jesus had difficulty trying to come up with earthly touch points to help us understand, even if in a small way, what the kingdom of God is like, when again, there's nothing like it that we know of. And so Jesus resorts to a parable to kind of describe it, or at least describe elements of it for those whom Jesus wants to hear what he is saying. And if you have the Spirit of God, you will get it. So let's remember that parables are not meant to precisely, and this is for all parables, parables are not meant to precisely pinpoint the exact concept, but rather are to give us a a homey kind of feel for what Jesus is driving at. Failing to understand this about parables in general is one of the reasons we get critical complaints about the Bible. You've probably, I presume, heard some of them. Oh, you Christians, you you believe that Bible as if it's all true. Well, let me tell you, they say very arrogantly and so proud of themselves, the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed known to man. (laughs) Well, mustard seed up? No. Thank you. You know, when people demonstrate their ignorance, first of all, of the scriptures, (laughs) it takes me to the BBC broadcast of Sherlock, those of you familiar with him. He comes up with some one-liners, and he's out on the street doing a case, and one of the other, his colleagues, make a statement that, to Sherlock anyway, is utterly dumb, which are most statements. And he says to him, Anderson, don't talk out loud. When you do, you lower the IQ of the entire street. I'm going to use that one day, I swear. I don't know. 
But they do continue to talk, unfortunately. Well, and you know, the mustard seed grows such a small little plant that it wouldn't be appealing to any bird. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard plant. It's basically, it reminds me of a mum and about the size of, of a mum. And, you know, so you put that together, what Jesus is saying, you go, okay, I get your point, but, again, don't open your mouth. You'll lower the IQ. <laughs> but we get these kinds of criticisms being uninformed, and all of a sudden the Christian is discombobulated because the Bible that they've been taught to rely on they start the wheels turning in their head, and they start to think, boy, you know what? Yeah, they, they do have a point. And maybe the Bible isn't reliable after all, at least not in everything. And so, golly, what are we to do? The Bible is bogus. I mean, if Jesus can't get these simple facts about seeds and plants straight, then nothing he talks about is reliable. Well, first of all, this misunderstands parables as a literary form. Some people try to get all cranked up about the minutiae that are found within the parables, the specific little minute details. And so let me restate what I said just a moment ago, and that is that parables are not meant to precisely pinpoint an exact concept, but rather are to give us a homey kind of feel for what Jesus is driving at. Ignoring this, critics take the parable and they use it scientifically, they think, against the truthfulness of Scripture and thus attack it accordingly. Well... Again, don't ever forget the words of Solomon, Proverbs 18:17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. So how do we handle the critics? Verse 31, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is smaller, not smallest, despite whatever your particular translation says, than all the seeds. Let's remember the context now of the people to whom Jesus is talking and the era. Okay, this is a parable. It is smaller than all the seeds sown upon the Palestinian soil at the time of Jesus. Oh, well, that puts a different shade on things. Let's throw that criticism out the window. Verse 32, Jesus says, And yet when it is sown, it grows up, and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. But again, you saw the puny little mustard plant, and that's the kind that I've seen. They're quite small. But now, let's get scientific if we want. Factually, the Sinopis nigra, or the black mustard seed, was the smallest seed sown by first century Palestinian farmers. Oh, go figure. Factually, the black mustard seed in Israel will typically grow to heights, cue it up, of 12 feet. Oh, go figure. Now let me underscore word usage in the literary milieu called parables. 
Reasonable people, reasonable people understand that words are used variously depending on the literary milieu in which they occur. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Have you ever heard someone say, and of course you have, and you've probably said it, Oh, look at the beautiful sunset. Now, when you hear this phrase, Do you assess the person as uneducated or scientifically illiterate? Or maybe they're a member of the Flat Earth Society, that they're a scientific moron because everybody knows or at least should know that the sun doesn't set. Oh, you see what I'm getting at? No, you don't think that way. Because you know, maybe you don't know, but you know, the linguistic milieu in which the person's comment was made was common, metaphorical, informal communication. It was not an astronomical, heliocentric explanation of solar orbit. Case closed. So what Jesus' point in the parable is, are you ready? Tiny seed, big tree, bird's nest. (laughs) It's basically this. The kingdom of God is in totality immense. It's beyond our comprehension. The kingdom of God is not limited to space or time. And this amazing world called the kingdom of God finds birth in the ridiculously feeble, tiny, tiny, and yet vital contribution that we make as God chooses us to use each one of us to that purpose. It is immeasurable. It is awesome, and nowhere in the Word of God do we have an exhaustive description, much less detailed explanation of the kingdom of God. It occurs only in the New Testament, and it's mentioned by that precise phrase only 66 times, and always in little bitty snippets and sound bites. So the question is, what does Jesus want the disciples to get from the parable? A thorough understanding of the kingdom of God? No. On that day, at that point, he wants them and he wants us to basically know only that what is essentially invisible, impalpable, and quite possibly impotent meaning by our perception of it at times, it is in actuality enormous and in toto beyond description and comprehension. But the one thing that seems clear, and perhaps this is the purpose of the parable, is that like the mustard seed, it has to be sown. And that, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and that, my disciples, is where you come in. This is why you were created, and this is why you exist. 
Well, okay now, but just, eh, just for kicks, what about that bird making his nest in the tree? There are some commentaries who opine that the bird nesting in the tree in the parable is an allusion to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish types, being basically brought into, invited into the kingdom of God by God. Possibly, possibly, but Jesus is explaining the parable to the disciples and to us. And Jesus doesn't tell us. As far as I'm concerned, in the parable, not forgetting that milieu, end of story. Little seed, little bit, tiny seed, the smallest they knew of, has to be sown by us. And then, boom, God brings about the result in immense, huge ways. Not every jot and tittle in a parable has to have or is even intended to have special meaning. Remember that, mark it down, put it in the margin of your Bible if you do that sort of thing, as an absolute general rule of reading any parable. A small, small seed grows into a large tree that is useful despite all perceptions to the contrary. In fact, it's large enough to provide shade and cover and even housing for a family of birds. Done. Where God is involved, small beginnings can yield enormous results. If you don't go fishing, you will not catch anything. If you do not sow, you will not see a harvest. Verse 33, with many such parables, Jesus was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Mark wraps up the parables, for now at any rate, reiterating that he, Jesus, used them to accomplish his purposes on earth with those whom he has marked out. For salvation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Let me have you stand. Lord in heaven, <laughs> the kingdom of God is like a man who sows. And the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that once sown by one of your disciples because of you, according to your way, your purpose, your plan, your timing, your desired result grows into an enormous tree big enough to provide shelter, cover, and housing to one of your creatures. Lord God, help us to be faithful sowers, to be even more faithful sowers 
as the days are so dark, keeping our lamp stand on the lamp, our lamp on the lampstand, that all may see the light and be drawn to it to your glory and praise. Amen.